Hello, and welcome to Rightfully So, your podcast for all things first-year college writing. Uh, this week, we're going to uh, tackle probably one of the most common questions that I, as an instructor, receive in the classroom, which is, can I use I, as in the writer's own sort of like subjective I, in my paper? Uh, and I think it's a fair question. Um, I believe that my students are are hearing the same thing that I heard as a student in middle school and high school, which is you can't use I in your paper. Um, and and it's an interesting it's an interesting rule, uh, and it's a it's a I mean I don't know if it's really a rule, but it's it's a it's a very common sort of like guideline that that instructors are giving to students. Um, and it, and it took me a while to sort of maybe unpack why instructors were telling students that because as as a student myself i just sort of accepted it at face value i can't use i uh, so i found ways to sort of write around that problem when i wanted to use i in the paper um but i think it comes from a place of of encouraging students to consider their audience and communicate their ideas effectively without necessarily relying on the narrative voice because i think when you use i there's a tendency to become over reliant on the narrative voice and and we certainly don't want students to do that especially as they're sort of developing their skills as a writer like the narrative voice is great it can be really powerful if used effectively but as a first-year college writer maybe maybe the students aren't quite familiar with how to use it effectively um and once i sort of understood that perspective then then I started approaching the problem of, well, can I educate my students on how to use I a little bit better? So I think that's the question that we're going to tackle to today. So I want to open it up to my my co-hosts, Carrie and Jeanette. Um, do you think it's okay for students to use the subjective I in their writing? And if so, um, what are what are the the limits? Like, how should they be using it? Or how would you like to see them use it? I'm so glad we're talking about this because like you said, it's one of the most common questions I get. And I feel like, kind of like you said, I think we were probably told why we shouldn't use I, but I feel like the explanation has been lost in, or it was lost in my brain. So I know it's lost in my students' brains too. So they just automatically, you know, think that they're not allowed to. And I think that um, the shorter answer is yes, you can use I, but it's how you use it. Uh, and when you use it. And I think that the fear initially was that because they might use it um, as a crutch to kind of say, I think, I believe, um, and relying on their own personal opinion, when at that point, I think, uh, especially in high school, they're trying to get them to write more objectively, like looking at, at you know, here's here's evidence and support versus my personal opinion. Um, and so trying to get them to move towards being more objective. And I think that that's why they just told them, just don't use it <laughs> because there's such a complex way to use it that they just said, you know what, let's just not even like, let's practice being a reporter, you know, kind of here's the news, here's the weather and not inserting that personal opinion, um, in the, in the writing. So I do think that that was kind of the the logic behind it. And, and I will say that that still holds, I think, in college and upper division, you know, upper, upper levels of writing, 
um, that you still don't want to rely on that personal opinion. Your opinion's valid, but you want to use the reasons, the evidence, the support to prove your opinion rather than just saying, well, here's what I think and you can agree or disagree. <laughs> yeah, if you're making an assertion, you don't necessarily need to, to pre preface your assertion with I think or I believe, right? You can simply just state the thing that you want to state, right? Um, for instance, you could simply state uh, the film Logan is a discourse on the audience exhaustion with the superhero film, right? You don't have to say, I believe that Logan is a discourse, right? That's sort of implied, right? So you really don't need to preface it with like the subjective eye in that case. So in other words, you're you're using it and you're maybe not using it incorrectly, but you're right. It's sort of, um, it's not a very, it's not a very effective way of communicating your assertion because it almost sounds like you're equivocating. In other words, like, I, I believe and it's okay if you don't agree with me, like where it's much more, um, it's much more of a, an active voice to say just the thing that you want to say. Um, and, and I think you make a good point too about using the subject of I too much sort of encourages students to rely on their opinion based on uh, rather than going to like those secondary sources and bringing in support for their argument. Um, enforcing that objectivity through you can't say I um, certainly does change the focus of the discussion, right? Like, can I sort of defend this assertion? Um, I still think though that there's value to using that subjective eye in, in the essays though. One thing I was thinking about when you were saying that, and, and I agree completely, right? Like about, I think, and I believe it's implied. Um, but the other place that I see it sometimes in essay is in this paper, I will do X, Y, and Z, right? Um, and to me, when, when I read that in a final draft, I'm thinking it's a first draft possibly uh, because it implies that the student is still in process, if that makes sense. And so I feel like I will and the sort of process narrative works if it's like a research proposal or some type of process-based writing or reflective writing. And so like those are the cases where if your given assignment has that sort of element, then yeah, it makes sense, right? Like you, it would be difficult to talk through a process or reflect on something without using I or me or my or whatever. And so that's, I think the difference, like in terms of when it might creep into an actual formal essay. I don't know. Yeah. As a thesis statement, I, I see that, you know, in this paper, I will, um, and I agree it's it it demonstrates that they're sort of early in their discovery process with what they want to do. And I tell students, I'm like, technically speaking, that is a thesis statement. Is it a particularly good one? No, because it's a statement of plan, right? Um, you're telling the you're telling your reader, this is the thing I'm gonna do. And then you have to follow that roadmap that you've established, right? And it sort of makes the paper sort of dull and predictable and and um, not very engaging for your reader. It also doesn't invite engagement or discussion, right? A statement like that is sort of like, you're expecting your reader to be sort of this passive receptacle to just sort of accept the information that you're given because you're like, here's a statement of plan. And then like, as Jeanette said, there's places where that's appropriate, right? Like a research proposal, hey, I'm going to be researching this thing and these are the things that I am looking for, right? At, at that point, sure, that's that's an appropriate use of 
I, right? Because it is a process document and you're detailing your process as well as like the metacognitive or reflective, right? I have students write metacognitive and, and reflective papers throughout the semester. And absolutely, you need to say I, right? Uh, absolutely, you need to use a narrative voice because how else do you talk about things like your process with writing without saying I do this and then I do that, right? You just, it, it, the context is important, right? So, and that's something I think that also doesn't necessarily get explained to students early on. It's like a blanket statement, do not use I, but there's context where you either have to, or it's at least appropriate to do so, right? Um, and I still, it may be an unpopular opinion, but I think there's a space for it in, in formal academic writing too. But again, it's, it's sort of context dependent. I will say whenever I do see that, it makes me think, um, going back to my analogy of riding like a bike, is writing is like, like a bike, <laughs> um, where it's, uh, it feels like they've got the training wheels still on when they've got that in this essay, I will argue that. And so I'm like, I, yes, you're riding the bike. Am I impressed? No, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to see you do some tricks. I want to see you, you know, have some fun with it. And, and I just feel like that is very kind of formulaic, but I will say some, I have heard from some students that some instructors like that because they want to be able to go straight to the thesis, you know, when they're like skim reading and be able to find it right away. So, but I feel like those instructors are very forward about make sure that you use it like this. Um, so I will say that some instructors who prefer that kind of formulaic structure, they are very uh, uh, blunt about it. So there's not kind of a guessing game for students um, as far as that goes. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, we were talking before we started recording about <clears throat> while while in the humanities, uh, the the subjective eyes has become much more accepted in academic writing. Um, that that in humanities we sort of recognize that the person writing the essay is in possession of the argument. That is their argument, right? So you can say I argue, or maybe injected sort of like your personal perspective as a writer in there because. We're not pretending this this opinion belongs to somebody else, right? I remember as an undergrad writing papers saying things like one may argue or it can be demonstrated as or, you know, trying to find ways to say I without saying I, <laughs> which resulted in like this really sort of dry formal tone um, and very passive too. That's something that I, I continue to struggle with because it seems such a habit, but this very sort of passive voice, right, where there was this sort of unnamed operator, you know, behind the text. Um, and, and so while it, to me, it felt like the, it, it sort of fit the modality and the voice of academic writing, it wasn't particularly interesting. Right. Um, and it was probably a little too wordy because of the necessity, the necessity of creating these long phrases to introduce ideas that I probably could have just shortened it with, you know, QED, thus I have proven kind of a thing. Um, I think in grad school, by the time I got to my thesis, I kind of got out of that habit a little bit, um, because of the encouragement of my thesis chair. It's like, Hey, this is your idea. Like take ownership of it, like be proud of it. Use a little bit more of this active voice, simply state the thing rather than trying to like lean into it. Um, something else I saw too was, um, trying to distinguish, like the proper use of I to my students versus like an improper use of I. And we, we've kind of alluded to it by saying things like, instead of saying, I think, or I believe just state your assertion. Um, 
But I also say that one of the ways I see students use I quite a bit that's not appropriate would be what I would call narrating the process of discovery. And it's literally the narrative I. And they say things like, oh, so I was looking at the prompt and I was thinking, what can I write about this particular prompt? You know, and Mr. Granger expects this. And then I thought, oh, I know, I'll write about this, right? Very Jack Kerouac on the road, stream of consciousness narration. And as a free write, as a way to sort of like nail down your thoughts on the subject and guide yourself to an actual thesis statement, totally appropriate. That's fine. But that should not be in your final draft. If I see that in your final paper, I'm going to be like, oh, you gave me your free write. How nice. It looks like you got some great ideas here. When am I going to get your paper? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so when students do ask, hey, can I use I? I'm like, sure, but right. There's always that, but I'm like, sure, but you need to be careful that you're not doing this. Uh, and, you know, I make it very clear that that's fine for first drafts, for free writes, for discovery type stuff. But it had that type of narration has no place in your final draft, right? Because it just isn't appropriate. Like you, yes, you want to explain your logic to your reader, but you don't want them to sort of participate in the thought process. Um, and that's the difference, right? One thing is like, i I argue that Logan is this film because, and then here's my evidence, and then here's my additional commentary and conclusion is way different from, so I was looking at Logan and I was thinking, how is this different from, right? One is your sort of, here's the pieces that you need as the reader to sort of follow my logic. And the other one is literally like experience these thoughts in real time with me. Um, and, and that's not what your reader necessarily wants to do. I was also thinking that and we did touch on this in our pre-recording meeting, but occasionally in an introduction, um, there's an opportunity for a narrative. Um, and so it does tend to work there, perhaps. Um, but I was also thinking about this idea of sometimes as an example, I'm not sure how to reword it into one can whatever, right? Like for so let's say I'm talking about Pavlov's dog and that concept that's in psychology. And then I said, for example, if I were to, and I, I can't think of any, uh, ring a bell <laughs> every time uh, dinner was ready, my kids would, and it's a little too on the nose in terms of Pavlov's dog, but it, it, it would be difficult to say that any other way. And so I have to use the I there, for example, if I were to, and so I think there's these moments wherein if you can't rephrase it and it is something connected to, and it isn't about process, right? It, it could work even in a body paragraph. Yeah, I, I encourage my students to to use their own experiences as part of their paper, right? So if you want to use a personal anecdote to support an assertion, especially since the research papers are about contemporary subjects, right? Where, you know, their lived experience might be important, like, you know, um, the state of policing in America or the the fact that our, our um, industrial prison complex or our judicial system is inherently biased or to be more proactive or progressive to say racist. Um, then, then their experiences and like their voice sort of living within that system is valuable, right? So yeah, bring in like your personal anecdotes as it's appropriate. Sure, use I. Hey, I experienced this this hand this firsthand because I was out with my buddy. There was a taillight out. We got pulled over, and then suddenly the cops is like, "You have drugs," and they want to search the car and like turn in this whole thing, right? 
So yeah, use, use I, it was your experience. It wasn't somebody else's experience. Right. Uh, and I also agree with Jeanette, like the introduction, like you can write a narrative introduction. My graduate thesis, I wrote a narrative introduction because it was sort of like, I wanted to answer the question of how does a lit major end up writing what is ostensibly a socio, uh, a sociology paper, right? Like, yeah, there was a literature aspect to it, but I was also primarily concerned with how does this literature affect the way people think? Um, and how does that change how they operate within society, right? So I'm like, how do, as a lit major, end up writing this sociology paper? I'm like, well, funny you should ask, right? I I wrote a paper for this class, and then I thought this could be something else, and then I got obsessed with the idea, and then down the rabbit hole we go. Um, so it was appropriate. Did I use I throughout the entirety of the paper? No, absolutely not. Once I was outside of the 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 introduction, I used it sparingly and only when I was sort of like injecting sort of my experience or um, in injecting sort of like my personal opinion to be followed up by here's here's some evidence that makes me believe that this is correct. I do. I do like to remind students that once again, this kind of goes back to a discussion of purpose with your paper um, and also audience. So just like how we analyze you know, an article and say, okay, this article, um, you know, this, this argument that someone else wrote, uh, they only rely on personal opinion and personal experience and then say, this is why I, you know, think or feel the way I do about, you know, some controversial subject. Right. And I, and we talk about how that's one experience. And if they're trying to make an argument about how everyone should think and feel, you know, it's kind of like, is that appropriate? Is your one experience, you know, that's a pretty small sample size. So I tell them, think about the purpose of the paper. Are you trying to argue something larger? If you are, then maybe your one anecdote may not necessarily be as appropriate um, for the sake of that paper. Or if the purpose of the paper is to be more um, objective, you know, then maybe that's not a place for the anecdote. But if, if your personal experience helps your argument. So if you have other reasons, other evidence, other support, and this is just kind of more, um, more of that, then I think that you can, you know, definitely use an anecdote um, um, in your writing. But I, I do kind of tell them, think about the purpose of that paper, you know, is it something that will aid it? Or is, the, or are you just saying, because of this one lived experience, everybody should think and feel this way, you know, that's kind of a harder, uh, a uh, place for it, I think. I do tell them that introductions and conclusions are great places for um for using that that um, perspective because I tell them uh, it's a good way to establish ethos with your reader. Um, you know, if you were to say something like, uh, you know, when I was reading this particular novel, um, you know, for the second time, some things became more apparent to me than they were during the first reading. That's awesome, you know, go ahead. And then you can kind of move into like, if you're using it as more of the context, bringing us to the thesis, I think that it's, it's definitely appropriate. Um, and I, I actually like to see it used more in the sense of rather than having some hook statement, that's the, you know, since the dawn of mankind, like, please don't No, no, whatever's going to finish that sentence is not, not a, a real statement. So I say, you know, instead, maybe that is a place to use I, you know, maybe that's a place where you can kind of say, 
I'm starting my paper and here's how I'm going to start it by talking about, you know, something personal to me and then move into the thesis. Um, I feel like, and then even like I said, at the conclusion, when you talk about how you're making connections between your paper, your thesis and the bigger picture, you know, what does this mean in the class? What does this mean making connections outside of class? That's a great place to consider, you know, using, using I too. So I kind of tell them, use it maybe as a frame, um, you know, of your essay. Uh, and then within the body paragraphs, that's when you get more into your evidence and support and kind of concrete, you know, examples. That's great. That reminds me of uh, this week, I was focusing on rhetoric analysis, textual analysis with my classes. And I did it through these two nerdwriter videos because I wanted to approach, you know, how do we do a rhetorical analysis through a critical lens? And then how do we do it based on our own sort of um, observations about genre, right? So in other words, like making some assumptions about genre and then see if we can apply that to like other texts or formats to see, you know, is our hypothesis valid? And so uh, one of the nerdwriter videos is like, hey, John Kowalty talks about the transformation of cinema. And then his whole video is sort of talking about how Kowalty's piece can be applied to the movie Logan. Um, and I, you know, we broke it down as a class. It was great. But uh, the second one, the second video was all about the nerdwriter, um, Evan Pushak's observations about action sequences and pop music, right? And the premise was uh, action sequences are like pop music. And you said using I to establish credibility. And one of the things that we discovered as a class is that in his introduction, he says, I am an unabashed lover of pop music. He's like, and I, I love it all. The Beatles, um, Ariana Grande, Lady Gaga. Like he, he really like hits. So his observations like about the kind of pop music he likes run the gamut of, of, you know, different pop artists in different time periods. And we came to the conclusion that that established his credibility to talk about how pop music is structured, because the body of his argument is really about understanding how pop music is structured and then comparing how this movie sequence is structured and sort of layering one on top of the other. And this conclusion winds up with, you know, basically, I, I believe that, you know, um, pop music is body music. I believe that action cinema is body cinema. And I think when it's done really well it like it lands and it's really compelling um and so we saw how just as carrie was saying like that i establishes credibility with of the speaker and then becomes like this really effective framing device but it doesn't have to sort of exist in the body of the essay because no at no point in sort of the body of his video essay does he say i again right he's really focused on examining how an action sequence functions like pop music i think the what's hard is to get students to master that skill. And kind of like what you said, you didn't really embrace it until like, you know, grad school. And so I do, I do think that it's, it's difficult to, to use, it's difficult to know exactly when it's appropriate. Um, and so that's why I, you know, when students ask me, can I use I, I'm always like, yeah, yes, but, <laughs> you know, and there's always kind of like a little disclaimer. So, and I, I feel like it's it's hard to to explain. And so I I love these examples that we have, but at the same time it's always like it makes me nervous <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> because I because I know that and maybe that's something maybe oh, see now I'm now I'm having ideas. I should do a workshop specifically for 
I and the placement of I and like having everybody just like locate those sentences and figure out how to phrase them so that they're appropriate um, and used used well or something like that. I feel like that might be a good scene. Now I'm lesson planning as we talk. This always happens. <laughs> I sort of did that by accident because I have a new assignment this semester where uh, students are comparing their own writing to AI generated chat GPT writing. And so I found that they couldn't really do that without using I because it's their own work. Right. So it's like, it, it, it did sort of force me to ask this question as well of like, when can I use this? And so the, the sort of full circle and I'm agreeing it's yes, but with an asterisk. And, and so it's almost dependent on the type of assignment and as Carrie said the purpose right like what are we trying to do here um plus audience right like so that's it, it's it may be appropriate or not unclear yeah that's sort of I think the the to use a big term but that's sort of like the facile or easy answer which is audience and purpose um, and that's something that I've been emphasizing in the last few semesters, which is ultimately the decisions that we make in our writing shouldn't be predicated on um, these ideas of rules that we have around composition or necessarily about expectations for like what what rhetoric looks like or sounds like, um, say, like in academic papers or whatnot. It really should serve the needs of your audience and the purpose of the paper, right? Uh, and once you clearly identify both those things, who is your audience and and what is your purpose, then the rest of the decisions become much easier to make. You know, do I include jargon? You know, is my audience subject matter experts? Do I need to explain these things to them? What level of definition do I need to apply to these terms that I'm using? Um, should I use or can I use I? Like if the purpose of the paper is metacognitive or reflective, then yeah, you kind of have to use I. Uh, as a comparative, um, you know, my personal work versus the robot overlords, then yeah, I kind of have to use I. Um, but are you trying to write a, a persuasive paper based on secondary sources and outside evidence? Then maybe not. Maybe it's not appropriate there. Um, and that's something that you need to think about. So, okay. So we're a little over 20 minutes at this point. Uh, I feel like this is a good place to sort of wrap it up. I, we've, we've kind of, I think, summarized the big things. And while we didn't, um, you know, create world peace or solve hunger. I think we've tackled the I question a little bit. Uh, before we wrap it up for today, uh, any any last advice, go backs, or encouragement for our listeners? I just it makes me always think of uh, when my, when I was growing up and my me and my or my siblings and I, <laughs> uh, we all would uh, you know my mom would say you can't do that and we would say why and she'd go because I said so. And it just always goes back to me wanting to tell students, as long as you're not using it as a, because I said so, like, here's my argument because I said so, then, then you can probably use it. So just know that it's it, it wasn't meant to be something that restricts you as a writer when that rule was first placed, but it's more just to say, use other reasoning, other logic, other support, because that's going to be really strong for your reader. Um, and your personal opinion is your personal opinion, but showcase it to say, here's how I arrived at my personal opinion. Here's what I looked at, what I observed um, through these solid examples. And then that guides us to more kind of concrete, substantial evidence, rather than just saying, because I think so. That makes me think of something I've said too, which is absolutely true in your first draft yes 
please use it. If that is how your ideas are coming out, go for it. Right. You know, but it is that whole, okay, that's the initial sort of brain dump, so to speak. And, or, you know, a lot of us teach shitty first drafts by Anne Lamott, you know, and so it's sort of tied there. So when the, I think I believe is still in there later, it seems to indicate that it's still that it, within the realm of that first draft or an early draft. Or they just didn't allow themselves enough time to revise and edit, which is probably closer to the truth. <laughs> it takes time. Uh, it takes, oh no, it's back. <laughs> Rightfully so's tagline is back. It takes time. Yeah, the one thing students never want to hear about GEW. Hey, we're going to read a lot. And we're going to write a lot and you can't rush the process. It's going to take time. Uh, Carrie, I loved your point about um, because I said so. Yeah, don't use I as a shortcut for because I said so. Um, not everybody has to believe your opinion. There's grownups in this world that haven't learned that fact yet, but your opinion is not fact. So, you know, be aware. Uh, great. I, I really don't have anything else to add. Like, I, I feel like you crushed it. That was awesome. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this week. That was our discussion on the subjective eye using eye in academic writing. Uh, we hope you come back again for our next episode. Um, for the future, we're going to be talking about chat GPT. I think once we get like a better handle on it, um, you know, where does, that's the question, right? Where does AI generated text fit into the classroom? Uh, so we do want to tackle that. So we hope you come back for a good listen. Uh, until then, get out there and write something.